Back in 2015, it was common to see one particular building described as the smartest, greenest and most intelligent in the world. This was the edge in Amsterdam. And there were some very good reasons why it was so well received. It achieved the highest Bream environmental rating ever recorded and generated all of its own energy. It used integrated tech to control not just the performance of the building itself, but to improve the experience of everybody who entered it. It was also designed to maximise their well-being, not least with fresh air and daylight, which are rarer commodities than they should be at work. The accolades came thick and fast, but the firm has moved on, developing new buildings with new ideas and in new places. I had a chance recently to chat to Sandra Gritty, the Product Excellence Director at Edge, a job title that tells its own story. We discussed the four pillars of the Edge model, the lessons they have learned over the past four years, the changing workplace and the changing demands of occupiers. Enjoy. Hello, my name is Mark Eltringham and this is the Workplace Insight Podcast. My name is Sandra Gritty. I'm a Product Excellence Director in, within Edge Technologies, which means that my team is responsible for the development of our product line, which is office buildings, which we try to make extremely sustainable, very healthy and technologically advanced. And successfully, I would say as well, based on the reaction to your buildings. Yeah, well, we, one of the things that we're working hard on is to keep on monitoring that what we do makes sense and uh, we see almost every building as a proof of a concept um, and trying to measure whether the ideas we had are actually working out, whether people are actually satisfied with the outcome, um, okay. whether the building's performing as it should, and whether we've made a difference in, in the different parts that we want to change. But you obviously start with a very, very clear idea about um, you know, the sort of principles behind your buildings, though. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Uh, I mean, uh, Edge Technologies originates from a company called OBG Real Estate, which has been one of the first companies to, um, you know, really embrace the ideas of sustainability and understanding that, you know, it's important for us to build buildings differently and taking responsibility in that regard. And uh, over the last 10, 12 years, this has grown more and more into understanding buildings holistically and that sustainability by itself is just one part of it that it's about, you know, the, the planet as such, just as much as the people inside, and that uh, we for too long made offices or office buildings which are not really the best possible place for people to go and work, you know, that's why people go stay at home or go to Starbucks instead, um, which is a real shame, because that's what offices or buildings like uh, workplaces have been originally made for, they should have been the best place for people to get their work done. I think that, uh, and what we basically try to do is combine that thinking and those ambitions with uh, the latest and greatest technology to help us support the um, and bring together also the physical and the virtual world of offices a bit more. You know, it's, it still seems a bit detached if we compare this to domotica and residential sector. Um, the, the workplace has been for many years really kind of running behind in really trying to bring those two worlds together. Well, I, I'm aware of the research that we see that um, when you ask people to describe their ideal working environment, um, the characteristics they come up with are not those of the sort of traditional office space they have more in common with cafes and lounges and um, yeah. you know and, and public spaces yeah that's true i think it's um i think we, we made um offices were almost like white collar factories you know they're made for efficiency and you know it was all about metrics such as you know square meter per desk and square meter per person and um very much seen also as a cost factor 
for many years. So, you know, the office space was always the, in your P&L was never seen as something which is, uh, could enhance your, the performance of your company. It was always the cost position. You know, how much do we spend on our real estate? Um, and I guess that's uh, in many ways a missed opportunity because we have more and more knowledge thinkers, more and more um, creative people, highly demanding jobs, people working 24-7, you know, we all need those highly educated, you know, college graduates to come to our uh, companies and make a difference. And, and those people have a different demand, you know, they have very complex jobs, they have a very diverse work day, they don't just sit behind their desk all day typing away. Um, and, and that demands a different kind of environment. It's also quite interesting. We work uh, relatively close together with Leesman, um, which does a lot of you know, workplace analysis and surveying. Sure. And if you look at the top performing Leesman um, uh, surveys, there are the places which exactly have those. Uh, they score much higher on lounges, on informal places, on atria, on community space. So exactly those kind of features that you just mentioned. And these are the top performing workplaces today globally. It's not even just in, in Europe or culturally dependent, but globally. How prevalent do you think um, traditional methods of thinking about office um, design still are based on the fact that we have now both with examples such as your own buildings and with yeah. from people like Leesman, you know, the, the, the facts about around this are pretty incontrovertible and yet I I suspect that most office buildings are still based on traditional ways of of looking at office space would, would you agree with that yeah I think if you look at the vast majority of you know real estate is also not something that you change from one day to the other right it, it takes investment it takes consideration there's lease terms um, but we do see that there's a growing pressure on on that kind of thinking Okay. Um, large fueled also by scarcity of talent. Um, we see that especially in uh, in niches of our clients, which are either themselves very much about a purpose-driven way of approaching um, their work and what they do. So, where sustainability, where health, where society, where things beyond just you know um, cost benefits and profit and loss are are drivers in the business, um, where they start thinking beyond. Uh, we also see that in those niches where um, turnover of the company per employee is high, so each employee has a huge impact on the profitability of a company. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that in those companies which are struggling to get um, um, talent in, so that's especially in the fields of data scientists, um, IT development, um, so the, the tech companies. Uh, which are struggling, you know, and fighting to get the right people in there, and then offices start becoming a, a critical factor in making sure you you have your talent attraction and retention on par. Okay. Yeah, um, and I think a great thing which adds to that is the whole censoring part as well. So, uh, I think for a lot of years it's been very difficult. Like, there's a gut feeling that people think, "Hey, this could make sense," but it it does mean a rethinking, um, and it does mean that you might actually make less traditional workspaces. Mm -hmm. And there's a risk of that if you don't know, you're sure you're doing the right thing. So the fact that we have more and more examples which actually prove that this is the right choices, even if it maybe initially seems to be a bit out of the box, um, having the sensor data which shows that spaces are being you know, used efficiently, um, having the surveys which prove that people are more satisfied and that they are performing higher, um, all those things can really you know, help to you know, build up the case for people, not just the, the, the first believers, but you know, trickling down the, the chain. Um, starting to say, hey, this, there's something to this. We should think about this. 
And, and how prepared do you think people are to actually accept sensors in, in the workplace? Is there, is there still a reluctance to have, have, have their, their location and time monitored? Yeah, I think you have to be very careful in, uh, there's a difference between understanding what's going on in a workplace and personal privacy. So uh, we are very, very, um, you know, explicit about making sure that whatever we do is not invasing, invading a personal privacy. So we don't follow people through the building and know exactly where Jim or Jane or whoever have walked through. Uh, we want to understand general occupancy. We want to understand, you know, has this area been more crowded than another? Um, we don't keep any historic data on things. Um, all the things that you try to do is just basically say, hey, it gives people insight whether their space is performing as they should. So a lot of the censoring data we do is on um, comfort levels. So it's temperature, it's VOCs, it's CO2 levels. It's basically telling you is your space now supporting your you know, biological, neurological way of working in the best possible way because we know that a CO2 level above X has an effect on your cognitive capacities. Your brain won't work that well. So it's, it's also a lot of giving people back information to understand from, hey, am I doing the right thing for myself? We don't want to be the big brother of uh, the employer and basically, you know, use censoring to start kind of, you know, following each, every single employee and have that in his, you know, end year conversation. That's definitely not, not the goal of, the, okay. of what we're trying to do. And, and do you see that being adopted more, more widely in the um, short term? Yeah. Yeah, we see that we, that there, there's more and more sensor providers, of course. The, the pricing for censoring is going down significantly. Um, so it's becoming more and more of a mass product, which allows it to be used at larger scales at uh, you know, starting to be reasonable prices. Um, I think there is quite a hesitancy still when it comes to camera usage, as soon as you can recognize faces or recognize individuals. If it's just about saying, hey, I know that there's a mobile phone device here um, with this IP, then that's a different thing than saying, hey, I could recognize that that person is sitting there. Um, so you, you have to be very careful in this, um, and you have to also respect, you know, the benefits, you know, like uh, it should be such that you can very clearly show the individuals from, hey, what have you to gain out of this? Um, and for every person, it should be an opt-in. You know, it should not be that they're monitored without be knowing that it is, that they don't have the chance to say, like, I don't want to be part of that. Um, so also we do a lot of things based on Bluetooth um, simply because Bluetooth is a system that people can easily opt out from. So they can also say, hey, I really do not want to be seen. I do not want to be monitored in the system. That's their, that's their right. So um, they should not be, uh, you know, secretly observed. Okay. To come back to another trend that I see a lot of in, in workplace thinking at the moment, it's the convergence of green building design and um, well-being. Yeah. Um, I think this has been evident for a little while now that um, the two subjects now seem to be inseparable, whereas once, I guess, maybe five or ten years ago, they were seen as two distinct categories. I think that, that, that it just strikes me that every, every time I see people talking about these things now, it's, it, they're together. Is, this, is yeah. this something that you're aware of as well? Yeah, I think in, in, in several ways there's been um, the, the health consciousness has been lagging behind the sustainability consciousness. Um, which had to do with political debates, which had to do with, you know, raising awareness on these topics. Um, I think what's hap been happening is that, um, you know, companies like Delos with the well-building standard, where we've also um, worked closely with, um, they've raised awareness for this topic in a different way. You know, they've been able to kind of, you know, have a wave of consciousness going around. And that has also kind of... Um, uh, 
been brought back into the standard sustainability labels. So labels like BREEAM, DGNB in Germany, um, or LEED are now actually actively trying to um, include those well standards into their own conversations because they see that there's growing awareness for it. Um, we do also see that even on the European Commission and European Union level, um, because there's been a lot of things, of course, on making buildings parrot proof and the nearly zero energy building stuff, um, that there's also now a growing awareness for, hey, maybe we should not just focus on energy reduction, but also what that means for the people inside, because um, facing it, the most um, energy efficient building is a building where you don't put any air into it, <laughs> but that's probably not the most uh, sure. healthy for the people. So we see those things growing more together and there's growing awareness for it, absolutely. And, and people like working in buildings that they recognize as having some real sustainable credentials, don't, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I think we, it, 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 um, there's a growing consciousness and I kind of think a purpose-drivenness to say, hey, I'm doing good with where I am and what, and our, what my company does. So there's a level of pride in that. Um, I think there's also, um, especially the combination of healthiness and sustainability, where you tick kind of both boxes. You take the box of, you know, doing good for mankind but also and for the planet, but also doing good for myself. Uh, you have this whole trend of quantified self, people, you know, testing their DNA and trying to understand, you know, where they come from and how healthy they are. And people are getting more and more interested in understanding their own health and what they can do for themselves. So those two things, two, those two worlds are starting to blend together. Okay. Um, I, I think you're probably best known still for, for The Edge. Um, yeah, unfortunately still, but there's so many cool projects <laughs> well, we've done. It, perhaps <laughs> a nice problem to have though, isn't it? To be well known for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it could be, could be worse. It could be worse. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I remember at the time, which was in 2015, it was routinely yeah. held as the best, smartest and greenest building in the world. And, yeah. and obviously achieved that rare thing of mainstream crossover in, in, in terms of uh, media and debates. Yeah. Um, um, so, Looking back now, what lessons did you take from that building and how has the the landscape changed since that time? Yeah, I think the um, for us personally, I think there's two main things which have triggered um, the, the, the edge or this building has triggered for us as a company. Um, one is really um, understanding the potential of technology, of um, Internet of Things, of sensor technology, of cloud computing. Uh, it was one of the first projects where we, um, very very close collaboration with Deloitte uh, CFO back then, um, were basically looking at, and CIO, um, he was Chief Facilities and Chief um, IT, uh, which is also a rare combination, which was unique in there. Kind of looked at, you know, buildings and said, hey, you know, it's actually quite surprising how advanced we are with the mobile phones we're walking around and how much technology there is in a mobile phone um, and how little there is in, in buildings and how much that's still lagging behind. Um, so that has been really an eye-opener and um, where the Edge experimented with a lot of different things. Um, there's some things which worked really well and there's some things that didn't and we learned from them and we basically took this experience as a basis to develop our own very robust um, systems of a smart solution, of making sure that all buildings we make as Edge are IoT enabled from the start that they're ready for all those, you know, smart technologies, um, services, applications, analytics, and everything else that we would want to do. So that's really been a, a change in our mind and also a change in the way we as Edge operate and how closely technology and real estate have come together in, in our industry, at least in our company. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that we've also realized that, um, you know, you can make the most sustainable building in the world as a developer, but at the end of the day, you hand over the key to the tenant and the owner and you're out. 
So you have a level of influence that ends with handover date. And um, I think also there we start realizing to really get the potential out of technology, we need to stay on board with the building longer, even after handover. So we have a service company which is doing that um, and trying to bring those things, uh, you know, together in a more holistic approach beyond just, you know, the, the handover date. So I think those were the, the two biggest kind of um, effects from our side. Okay. And do you think it's influence building designed in the last four years? Yeah, I think we've also seen a, a further trend beyond, I think that what you definitely see is that there's more and more consciousness for, um, you know, the positive effects of um, daylight, of atria, of collective spaces, of these kind of things, and which are still compared to, you know, we now have the newest buildings of ours, which is Edge Olympic, which is just, you know, a couple hundred meters away from the edge. Um, that building is well platinum certified, both in its interior on our floor and the whole building as a corn shell. Uh, we've done a lot of things on circularity. We've done a lot more shared spaces that several tenants use um, together um, to really have this, you know, potential for interaction and serendipity. So um, I think there's a lot more that um, can be going on. I think that the edge has been really great in terms of having a boost in understanding the potentials of sustainability, technology, and health from a building perspective. And what we saw happening simultaneously in that time is the whole trend regarding co-working and different ways of, you know, flex spaces and how different, how companies want to work together and how individuals prefer to work together. And I think those trends together have kind of shaped what we're doing now um, in our buildings. Because the co-working trend has gone mainstream in the last four or five years as well, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Uh, so yeah. you, I, I suggest that you're kind of feeding off each other in terms of thinking about um, building. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, it maybe sounds a little bit uh, um, yeah, <laughs> outdated to say, but almost the idea of kind of like a, a small Italian plaza of a little town square or this feeling that people want to feel that they belong to something bigger than just their floor or their office, their corner office. Um, and inducing that through the way you design buildings and the way you create space for people to come together, not just when they exit their office, but when they actually are there. I mean, for, for us nowadays, like the, the worst possible situation is a, a skyscraper with, you know, we call them the pancake, you know, where, you know, every single floor is separate from one another and you just meet one another in the elevator, which is probably the, one of the most uncomfortable spaces for people to actually meet and converse. You usually kind of awkwardly stand next to one another. Um, that, that, that's the most asocial building you can make. And we think that there's a lot more potential, especially as creativity and um, thinking outside the box is becoming more important given the kind of jobs we have today, to induce that through the buildings we design, through the architecture we make and the spaces we create. Do, do you think uh, things like tall buildings, they can overcome their, their inherent disadvantages with things like technology and culture? Is that... Um, a trade-off they can make, do you think? To some extent. Um, I think it's, oh, it's, it's um, we, we also see a couple of uh, initiatives that we've been doing and also others where you try to introduce um, natural flaws for people to come together. There's been some, I think, experiments also with uh, projects like 22 Bishopsgate. Um, there's project in London. Um, you also see um, things that we've been doing in our project in East Side Tower, Berlin. Um, where we basically create floors in such a way that they structurally, it's very easy to take out a, f a part of a floor to create connecting staircases. So there's ways and means to spatially connect um, skyscrapers. I think there's also ways that some extent that technology can help you in 
um, raising awareness of where people are and, and you know enticing communication but at the end of the day I think a lot of the social interaction is still driven by physical space so by people seeing each other by visual relationships by physical relationships so it's definitely more challenging in um, in very vertical or skyscraper buildings to achieve the same as in a kind of more flat uh, low-rise oriented building okay and uh, talking of your building in Berlin um, there, it's, it's obvious that your, your influence and your, your work is extending into other countries. Are, are you aware of um, having to adapt your methods for local cultures? That's quite interesting because we, we work with a blueprint. So we basically have a, a standard on sustainability, technology and health-related design or well-being-related design globally for all the buildings. We're active in the Netherlands, in Germany and on the East Coast in the US now. Um, also actually busy extending into your market in, uh, in the UK. Um, and uh, what you do see is that there are cultural differences. There's differences in hierarchies. Um, hierarchy is very different in Germany than it is in the Netherlands. Netherlands has a very flat organization. Um, in, the, um, in Germany, it's much more hierarchical. In the US, you see a very different kind of typology. Um, there's been very little attention in US, I think also, in UK, you have that more that you have very deep floors, very little daylight coming in. Yeah. People basically not yeah. necessarily needing to have a desk next to an, a window. Um, so things that we're running into in the US, for example, is saying, hey, you know, we would like to make atria and create spaces with more daylight for people. And then uh, a lot of the locals look at us and say, like, yeah, but that's square meters you're losing. You know, why would you want to give those square meters away? And uh, so it, 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 then it's a question of convincing them to say that's also where our data analytics comes into and trying to prove that what we do with our building makes sense because it results in much more high-performing real estate for the tenants coming inside that they are willing to pay a premium for because they know it's going to be much better for them as a company. And then those are the kind of conversations that we're having now, especially in the U.S., to um, convince them to, you know, um, t take that bet and say, hey, you know, it, it really makes sense to to you know not put people in uh, next to a staircase in in just some flickering TL light and hope that they're going to be really happy there. Okay, because I, I know that the daylight thing is something that gets talked about an awful lot in the UK. Uh, yes, it's te temperature. It's got, well, it comes back to the point you were raising about comfort, doesn't it? It's air, yeah. light, um, temperature. Those things are very. Yeah. very critical to, to people's experience of, of an office. Yeah, and views as well. I mean, you also mentioned the whole thing about um, nature, biophilia, biomimicry, um, being surrounded by, you know, natural materials, plants. Um, those things do things to human beings. So there's a lot of research which shows that um, when you're put under stress, your heart rate actually um, normalizes much more quickly if you're in a natural environment than if you're in a very harsh concrete environment. Um, so our bodies react to that. We we just are more comfortable. So there, we've been we've been trying our best to kind of protect us from the outside world, and now it almost feels like we're reversing the trend, and trying to bring the outside world more in back into the the cities, even with like urban planning with more trees and more green and everything, and that that trickles all the way down into the, into the buildings. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you so much for that. Um, I I think we we might have enough. Is there anything else you want to raise though? Um, yeah, well, just that I think that it's it's a really exciting time to be, you know, working in this field because there's a lot going on. Um, there seems to be quite some, you know, transitional things. You know, it seems like um, a lot of industries have been disrupted in various ways over the last years. And 
real estate seems to be one of the last ones on the list, um, which, which has now over the last couple of years really been picking up in pace to understand, you know, how can we do things, you know, differently for a changing kind of uh, society. So it's, it's a very interesting time to be, to be working in the field. I, I know when I've attended recent real estate events like Cornet and um, yeah. um, I'm aware that they're having conversations about um, things like um, comfort and well-being and, and so on, but they don't seem entirely comfortable with it. Is that, would that be unfair for me to say that, that they'd still try no. exploring it rather than having a, um, a mature awareness of, of the issues? I think it depends. I think it's. I think we're seeing a similar um, trend with well-being now as we maybe saw with sustainability around 10, 15 years ago. People kind of, you know, there's you have the the believers. You have the people who say, "Hey, this makes sense. There's a logic behind this," and I follow the my the logic of my thinking and not just already having proof in facts and figures and Excel sheet form, which tells me that it really makes sense. Um, so I think we're seeing the same kind of wave happening now on the, the health and well-being and tech side. There, People are intrigued. Um, if they think about it, they see a lot of logic behind it. They say, hey, there's potential here. Um, but um, we, there's also a lot of risk-averse players in, in the real estate market. Um, and they just want to kind of observe and see what's happening, monitoring you know, where these trends are going, and then step in when it feels you know, right for them to do so. So I think we're kind of in that phase right now with a lot of the players in the market, where I think that edge takes a different stand and saying hey we, we want to be the front runner when we see things that we believe in we want to try it we want to see that it works um, and we want to prove that things make sense or learn if they don't and then keep on you know developing what our product in the right direction okay and, and you see the demand coming from occupiers as well as um well you're obviously creating um yeah a, a new way of, of, of looking at these yeah, things we you see the see demand that. coming from occupiers as well yeah, what we definitely see is that there's been also change in, in HR policy. Um, there's more and more companies which are paying more emphasis on secondary benefits, on corporate wellness programs, on things like, you know, providing fitness or subsidizing fitness use or uh, gym usage or bringing healthier food into the cafeterias. Um, so even on like an organization level, they're starting to adopt those methods. And then I think the only thing that we see now, um, especially in the US, I think there's around $700 spent per person per year on those kind of um, secondary benefit or corporate wellness programs, really targeted for people to have a better work-life balance. Um, but they tend to only have a very small, low adoption rate, maybe 20, 40% if you did a good job. Yeah. Um, you're spending a lot of money then, and very few people make use of it because it, there's a, a threshold you have to step over to um, actually start doing it right so uh, you have to know about the program you have to you know subscribe maybe there's some peer pressure because you know you might be a little bit overweight and you don't feel comfortable to be on the treadmill next to your younger co-workers um, so the, it, it tends to be that often you know the, the people which make use of those programs are already the young fit males which didn't really need the support but they just love going to a gym for a cheaper price than maybe paying it for themselves mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, the, the thing that we now see switching in the consciousness of um, employers is that, hey, we, you know, we have all these square meters of office space. Um, what do we do with that space for our people? And isn't that kind of something that nobody can really escape, right? You have to go there at some point during the week and you're, you're, everybody's going to be there. It's going to be exposed to the same environment. So is there potential in that environment? And the, the, there's been a lot of research on this in the past, but it's just been kind of 
it's now only being dusted off and people are starting to kind of, you know, um, understand the value of it. And I think that's where, especially Delos did a great job in really, you know, bringing this knowledge in a different format to the real estate wor um, world um, to give awareness beyond like the, the, the scientific and university and research sphere, um, which, but bringing it in a more marketable, you know, digestible format where people say, hey, wow, this, this looks kind of cool. Um, why don't we do that? Um, so this, this awareness boost has really been uh, critical in that. Excellent. And, and you've played your own role in, in raising that awareness, I think. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, we, we now are the first uh, in the world which has a well V2 um, certificate, and then it's also platinum. So um, there's been kind of a, it's been a very, you know, interesting uh, journey for us of the last years. And the nice thing is that um, with especially Edge Olympic again, the project that I mentioned earlier, we, we had already been on a path to try to say, hey, can we, you know, go for, you know, higher healthiness. For example, this building that Edge Olympic is only a Bream excellent building. It's not Bream outstanding. And that's done purposely because we invested in circular principles and material use, but also very much into the health and well-being of the building. Um, and there we actually adopted well at a later stage in time. We didn't, it wasn't at the outset that we said we want to go for well certification. And then to see that the building like this can have a well platinum really kind of shows that we're, you know, seem to be on the right path and understanding, uh, you know, what people need and what's important. Excellent. Well, 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 I hope you keep raising the bar for everybody. I mean, it's, um, it's always great to see uh, people, you know, going way beyond what they're expected to do by, by from the yeah. norm. So, um, you yeah, know. well, the great thing is, you know, if you work in an innovative field, you get innovative, innovators, innovators come to you. So we've also been, you know, able to really raise a, a very, you know, lovely ecosystem of advisors, suppliers and others which are, you know, striving to make a difference. So it's, it's a very cool ecosystem to work in. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Well, thanks so much, Mark, and uh, have a great day.